this week on Let's Connect. Gratitude leads to awe. It's the doorway to awe. And so when you really go into nature, looking from a place and feeling from a place of gratitude, like hug a tree for longer than you feel comfortable or sit down for longer than you feel comfortable or stop and listen to the birds with your eyes closed longer than you feel comfortable and open to the gratitude of what's being offered, even if you don't understand it. Like beyond understanding, you know, like moving beyond the need to rationalize and understand everything, then you can get into a place of being truly awed. Welcome to Let's Connect. My name is Keith McPherson, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me for this next episode. Let's Connect is a podcast that interviews people from all walks of life who have inspiring stories to share about who they are and who they're becoming. As a life coach and someone who's genuinely curious about connecting with people, spirituality, mindfulness, and what this world is all about, I'm here to ask powerful questions, share my insights as well, and to really connect on a deep level to help us all grow in awareness of who we really are. So sit back, relax, and let's connect. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Let's Connect. It is such a exciting time in the world right now with many things on the go, (laughs) a lot of changes taking place, and it's a time, in my opinion, to slow down and walk a little bit more mindfully and maybe even you might say walk deeply. And today on the, the podcast, I'm going to be speaking about that whole essence of what does it mean to walk deep with my dear friend and life coach, uh, Abigail Prout. Abigail is an incredible author, uh, coach, a leadership facilitator. She offers some incredible offerings through her company called Spiral Leadership. And her and I had a conversation yesterday that I'm going to share with you here all about her brand new book of poetry called Walk Deep. And, uh, you know, I met Abigail several years ago in California. I was actually being coached by her husband, Clive, who was also an outstanding coach. And uh, we were at a conference together, a coaching conference. And when I met Abigail, I was so taken back by her fierce courage and her she had it like a feistiness to her, like a she she just it, it seemed like she was really in check when it came to like setting boundaries and being clear. And I just was so attracted to her energy. And years later, cut tape, I hired her to be my coach, and we've been working together for for several years now. And uh, her book of poetry, her first book of poetry, just came out. And so I'm just so excited to to speak with her on this podcast and for you to, to tune in and listen to her wisdom and her essence and a little bit more about how this book came about. Um, just before we get into that conversation, speaking of books, I also wanted to share that uh, I am also pleased to announce that a book that I was part of writing has now been released as well, uh, a book called Teacher Take Care. And it's a book all about well-being um, and how to take care of yourself in the workplace um, when you're an educator, a service provider. It's a a book that um, basically was written with the intention of giving tools and embodied practice to people that are putting all of their energy out in service of others. How do we look after ourselves and ensure that we also are in a place of 
um, mindfully looking after ourselves. So the book Teacher Take Care is now out. It was initiated by a, a woman named Jennifer Lawson, who is a school trustee here in Winnipeg, where I live. And uh, she called me about a year or so ago and said, would you be interested in writing a chapter on this book for teachers? And me being a yes person, <laughs> I said, yes, of course I would. And uh, next thing I know, there's a, now a book. The, uh, the chapter that I wrote was appropriately titled Making Sense of Mindfulness. It's a bit of a spin on my uh, full-length uh, book, Making Sense of Mindfulness. But it's just a chapter. But this chapter really puts it in the perspective for teachers and educators about what does mindfulness mean in that context and how do we look after ourselves uh, in, a, in a mindful framework. So that was my chapter, but there's many in here. I, you know, I'm just flipping through it right now as I'm speaking to you, and there's just so many awesome different uh, ideas. There's a, a chapter in here called Arts-Based Wellness, Creative Strategies for Self-Care. Um, there's a whole indigenous... Um, edge to the book that really interprets a lot of these practices from the indigenous lens, which is really quite beautiful. Uh, I just opened to a chapter called Just Breathe, Strategies for Well-Being. Um, it goes on and on. There's, there's also a chapter in here called Physical Well-Being, Caring for Our Bodies with Compassion, Not by Comparison. <laughs> I could have used that this morning at yoga class. I was back in the hot studio practicing, and I've been pushing my edge by practicing in the hot studio without a shirt on, I am so self-conscious in front of a mirror when I don't have a shirt on. I start looking at my abdomen and thinking that it needs to look like all the other incredible males in the room who don't have shirts on. And all of a sudden, I find myself comparing my body um, to others as opposed to caring for my body with compassion. So I need to read this chapter by, by Megan Hunter, I think. Anyhow, <laughs> sidetracking. But back to the main event, um, I also just wanted to share a really exciting piece of news that happened this past month. I um, received a medal from the Queen. Yes, Queen Elizabeth II gifted me a medal. It was called the Queen's Jubilee Medal, and I was a recipient of it amongst 70 other Manitobans in the room who also received this medal. And it was, uh, although I didn't get specific information about why I was receiving this medal beyond um, the fact that it was about providing service in the community and being a, a leader in the community, um, it was just absolutely an honor. And if I was to be completely candid at first, my initial reaction when I received this medal was, who am I to be receiving this medal? I mean, some of the other recipients in the room are much more deserving, to be quite honest. You know, I, the... Um, Dr. Rusin, Brent Rusin, who was the person in Manitoba where I live, who was the doctor that was helping us navigate the pandemic. I mean, surely he's in deserving of a medal after all of that. You know, there was a friend of mine in the room, Reagan, who uh, flies this, this plane with a, a team called the Hercules, and they do search and rescue. And of course, I mean, of course he's going to get a medal. Um, you know, all the past premiers and the, the past lieutenant governors all were there, and they also um, receive medals. And then there was me. <laughs> and I was like, I had such a huge saboteur to be completely vulnerable with you. I was like, I don't know what I did to deserve this medal. And um, I've been really reflecting on it since. And you know, what's come to me is this is actually a practice of learning how to receive. I've never been really that great at receiving. I'm, I feel like so much of my energy is about giving. And so to actually receive 
And what this has opened up for me by allowing myself to receive this medal and also to just receive in general, um, it's actually a form of giving to receive with gratitude and to receive with true heart and appreciation. So I just wanted to share this because it's really cracked my world open to uh, a new practice about receiving. And this goes all the way down to simple things like compliments. Um, as a musician over several years, you know, I, I've received so many compliments in that, that work where people are consistently complimenting me. And although I'm great, I'm very grateful for the compliments when they come in, um, I, I kind of numbed out to receiving the compliments because I kind of almost deflected. It's like an energetic deflection. And what that does to the person that's giving the compliment um, very unconsciously at times, and maybe if it's conscious too, is to me, I feel like it almost, um, it almost is like putting a hand up in front of them and saying, I'm not, I'm not open to receiving this, even though you're saying the kindest things to me. And so it's really been a challenge for me to just like literally let my hand drop and to open my heart and to really absorb and feel what's being said. And I'm conscious here as I'm sharing this that, you know, this could come across very egotistical, but that's not what I'm getting at here at all. I'm talking about when, um, you know, another being sees another being and acknowledges it and it, it opens us up to this place of the mirror where it's in giving that we receive, but it's also in receiving that we give. And there's this beautiful connection that happens when we allow, at least I've been finding, I'll speak for myself, when I allow somebody to, to gift me a compliment, or in this case from the queen before she passed, a medal. I mean, talk about the timing of that. And um, I just, I feel like this is a practice that could be passed on for some of you listening that might also be going through the same thing. So I'd love to hear from you if you want to share stories of how this shows up in your life around receiving. I'd love to hear send me an email, let me know how it's going. I, um, I, one last bit about receiving I wanted to share is I had the great honor of marrying um, two really close friends of mine uh, a couple weekends ago. They asked me to, to marry them at a very intimate, small ceremony out in the woods. And th we, we hiked into the woods. It was about a five kilometer hike or just over five kilometers. Yes, I am in Canada. So for the States, that's maybe... I don't know, is that three miles? Anyway, we hiked into this beautiful place in the middle of the woods along a lake, and I married them. And at the end of the, the ceremony, um, my, my friend gifted me a guitar in gratitude for marrying him and his partner. And this guitar was not just any guitar. It was a guitar that uh, had been passed down in his family lineage and carried so much personal energy and connection uh, with it. And so I actually backpacked in with this guitar because I wanted to play some music for the ceremony. And at the end of the ceremony, he offered me this guitar. And to be quite honest, this was before I had the breakthrough of the receiving. I kind of was like, oh, thank you very much. That's so kind of you. But it was like receiving it from a place of like, you know, um, that's really nice. But it was very, it was very cognitive the way I was receiving it. And so after kind of having this breakthrough over the last while, I, I went back to my friend and from my heart, I, I deeply thanked him and let him know how much it means to receive such a, 
an incredible gift of a musical instrument that has been passed down. And I, what came to me was, I just, I want to keep this in, in his family lineage. And so it's like, we're family. And when I play this guitar now, it carries with it all of the ancestry that's owned this guitar before. It was just a beautiful moment of receiving. Final piece, I got to share this too. <clears throat> On the way back from the hike into the woods, it was, we got to the, the ceremony site and it was just before sunset. So I didn't realize that what I was committing to here as a yes person, right? I say yes, and sometimes I get myself in these crazy places. So I didn't realize it, but I was committing to walking back five kilometers in the dark with my two friends and their witnesses, like the five of us. So I, we got our headlamps on and we, were, we start, started walking through the, the woods. And this isn't just like a straight path. Like I'm, I'm talking like we were going up and down in this trail and there was like jagged rocks and cliffs that dropped into the lake. Like it, I don't recommend it. <laughs> I was like so terrified to be honest. Um, for those of you that are wondering where it was, <clears throat> it was this beautiful trail called Hunt Lake, Hunt Lake Trail, um, close to West Hawk Lake in Winnipeg or just outside of Winnipeg. Beautiful. Anyway, we're walking back in the dark. And we're about 10 minutes in and it's pitch black at this point. And all of a sudden the, the smell in the forest starts changing. It almost felt like something was rotting. And my friend ahead of me said, you know, that's funny. The, the, the forest has so many different fragrances. I'm like, yeah, this one kind of stinks. <laughs> and then all of a sudden to the left of us, uh, there was sort of a grunting growl. And I was like, what the heck is this? And sure enough, we were crossing the path of a bear. <laughs> it was like, I, I couldn't see the bear, but I could hear the bear and I could smell the bear. And it felt like the bear started following us. Whoa. So we picked up speed. It was pretty motivational to get out of the forest, but we, we started walking a lot quicker and eventually the bear did stop following us from what I could feel. And, you know, we're still alive to tell the story, but the significance of a bear crossing my path, um, and this is the second time this summer that a bear has crossed my path, by the way. Maybe I'll share more about that on a future episode. But I wanted to share this because the message that came to me was all about slowing down. It was about, hang on a minute, slow down. Bears, um, to me, symbolically represent slowing down, setting boundaries, deepening into the moment. And this has been a, an invitation for me in my busy life over the last year is to move as Wayne Dyer would talk about from the place of ambition and rushing into a place of more depth and meaning in the next part of my life. So I wanted to share that part because as we move into the conversation I had with Abigail yesterday that I'm going to replay for you here, um, her book is called Walk Deep. And to me, this walk Crossing the Path of a Bear was all about that. It was about walking deeply in this way of slowing down and allowing whatever is happening in the moment to have a voice, to inform, to inspire, to share, to give, and that I may be open to receive. So that's what this episode is all about today. And it's my wish as you listen to this conversation with myself and Abigail, that you open yourself up to receive and walk deeply with us into whatever chapters are to be read in this beautiful book of poetry. So without further ado, please meet Abigail Prout. 
Hey, Abigail, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited and feeling some edge as we step into this conversation. I'll be honest. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Keith. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Yeah, this is awesome. You know, um, I was mentioning in the intro that you and I have worked together and known each other for quite a long time now. I think it goes back to like California was when we first met at the CTI conference in Napa. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just at the time I felt this like amazing connection with you. My, my first um, assumptions before really knowing you was, wow, this woman like walks to the fire and through it and she's just got this edge. And I've come to know you as somebody that's like that. And so excited that we're here right now chatting about this, this brand new book that you've put out. But I also want to know so much more about you and your story. Um, you know, for the listeners, they, they know that you and I have been working together and you're my coach and I have so much gratitude for the work we've done together. I'd, I'd love to just start because I've never asked you this and I, I'm just curious, how did you get into the, the coaching profession? Well, I am, um, I'm, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I'm a bit of a veteran coach really, because I got in before it was a viable profession so wow. in 1999, I was a 20-something-year-old therapist with so much wisdom and so much experience. And I really, I, I was burning out as a therapist and I hired a coach um, and she did some really magical work with me. And I was like, what is this? What is happening? Because whatever she and I are doing together is way more fun for, for me and way more aligned to my values uh, of creativity and um, connection and intimacy and, and, and uh, challenge. Um, and so I slowly started to take the CTI, um, the coactive training courses. And then I just kind of slowly shifted from being a therapist to being a full-time coach. And I, I think I got maybe a hundred percent in with both feet, like in 2003. Wow. And I, you know, people ask me this all the time and I'd love to hear your perspective. What is the difference in your opinion between the two, between like sort of therapy and counseling and coaching? Well, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the practitioner. And these days, I mean, there's so many more tools that cross over between the two mm-hmm. um, and and paradigms that cross over between the two and healing modalities that cross over between the two. When I began uh, coaching, what was remarkably different for me, and again, this is back in the 90s, so it's pretty dated uh, information, but I really felt like a lot of the therapy work that I was doing was based on a model of something needing, needing to be fixed. Mm, yeah. um, and you can also say needing to be healed. And, and that is true. We, we all have tons of stuff that needs to be healed. Uh, I wouldn't say fixed anymore because I think that's an outdated idea, but I didn't, I didn't want to think of people as somehow not whole. And so moving into coaching, it it just kind of redirected my, my sight towards possibility and to like the, the present and the future instead of the present and the past. Mm. Um, Although in my coaching, as you know, like we, we do, 
we include all of it because we are whole and our past is, is also part of our future. <laughs> so Absolutely. it's, you know, I mean, I think the bottom line is, is that I, I accepted the fact that I'm a time traveler and that's part of my work as a professional is to help people integrate and connect all times of themselves, future, past, present. Wow. You know, I just, I totally agree. And I experience that whenever we have sessions is this sort of feeling of the wholeness of, of who I am on the client side. And I'm curious, um, one thing that I've always been struck by in our relationship and knowing you and getting to know you more is your, your deep connection to um, spirituality and how that integrates into the work. And I'm just curious, like, even in reading uh, what I have so far of the book that you've written of the poetry, I mean, there's such a direct connection to spirit that comes through to me. I'd love for you to just speak a little bit about that, like how that, that part of you integrates into uh, what you offer to the world. I read this book when I was in my late twenties by this woman um, named Barbara Marks Hubbard, Mm -hmm. and it was called Conscious Evolution. And she, she actually ran for vice president um, on, on this ticket back in the eighties. And she obviously didn't make it to the, to the white house, but she was like this radical thinker. Um, And she broke my mind open to thinking about humanity as an evolving consciousness. Like we're here to evolve consciousness together. Mm. And I was, you know, I've been, I was raised by my father, who's a Quaker. So I spent a lot of time in silence and my mom, who is a Sufi and that's a, you know, wow. a, a, a mystical, <laughs> what a you know, it's a mystical, mystical Islamic uh, path. And both of them were very devout and very um, connected to spirit in very different ways. And I've always felt my own connection with spirit most alive in nature and watching the natural world do its evolution, you know, Mm. the seasons and just watching things grow and die and die and grow. And, you know, the, just the beauty and the perfection that nature is. Um, I really do see humanity as, you know, we are evolving and we're evolving in a conscious way because we have, these big old brains. Yeah. And so I think so much of what coaching is at its finest, highest dream is to help each other through relationship, through the intimate, empowered relationship of coaching client to help evolve consciousness together. Wow. That was a really long answer. <laughs> no, that's really powerful. I, I'm still hung up on this part about your connection to nature and your parents and like the me being raised by a Quaker and a Sufi. I mean, this is like unbelievable. It's like, um, I'm curious about that piece about what that experience was like to have those two influences so early on in your life. Well, I think what I'm really grateful for is that they didn't, my parents got divorced when I was really young. So they obviously didn't agree on a lot of stuff, (laughs) but what they did agree on, they agreed on two big things. They agreed that we should know each other 
And so even though they didn't really love each other enough to stay together, they loved my brother and I enough to give, to give a generous amount of time to us. And so we knew our parents really well. And the other thing that they had in common was their love of nature and their um, reverence for nature. My father was a teacher on the Navajo and Hopi and Apache reservations when I was growing up. And we had a fourth generation cattle ranch in in, uh, Northern Arizona where we would go and ride horses and just be kind of crazy and wild and fun. And then, and then my mom is, you know, kind of a back to the land hippie pioneer on Lopez Island uh, in the San Juan Islands, right across from Canada. I can see Canada from my window right now. Wow. Um, and she, you know, she came to Lopez on a vision quest and hitchhiked from California and got here and, you know, had a, a big old epiphany about coming home and, you know, used her inheritance to buy and clear land and build a octagonal house from the logs that we harvested with our hands with as cool <laughs> nails as possible in the house. I mean, it was just like this extreme wow. hippie, hippie raising. And so there was a lot of going towards nature. Yeah, Everything was about like, it was before phones. It was before computers. We didn't even have a VCR. I never had a TV growing up. We barely had phones. I mean, I, you know, the house that we were in for five years was, while we were building our other house was without electricity or running water. And so it was like literally candles and hauling water. And um, when that you're that awesome. close to the bone, you turn towards that, which is abundant. Like if you don't have money, you go where there is abundance and the riches are in the forest and on the beaches. Wow. I want you to think back, like I, I, this, this connection and relationship with nature for you. If you think back to like one of your earliest moments of like awakening to that, like what comes to mind? Oh, I'm thinking about this, this photo that I saw the other day um, of myself. And I think I was about six and I was out in the back field um, behind this house that we were renting with our dog Beauregard. And, and it was just this picture of this scrappy ass hippie kid, like (laughs) really scrappy. I mean, pass me down clothes, like at least four times before they got to me, kind of scrappy and this big dog. And we're both so happy. And I remember going back into this big golden field and just having a whole world back there. And a lot of it had to do with the light, like the light that would come in. And like, I just remember feeling really, I didn't have these words then obviously, but like, I really felt elevated and like expanded. Like I could play whatever I wanted to play and imagine whatever I wanted to imagine back there. And I think a lot of it, a lot of us had those experiences as children, yeah. if we were lucky enough and privileged enough to, to have a, um, an experience with nature. What, what blows my mind about all this is, you know, from that early memory to now, and it's amazing that that pattern still is at play in some way for you and that you are still going back into nature to 
to be inspired. And in, in this form, it sounds like this, this book of poetry has evolved from the same sort of process. And I'd love for you to just, because I mean, the listeners are not maybe as privy to this at the moment. What was, how did that process work in, in the writing of this book that seemed to have found you <laughs> from yeah. what I gather? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've always dabbled in, um, in poetry, but it's, you know, up until I took this project on, it was more like word art and just a form of expression. Yeah. Um, I was a little hesitant and shy to call it poetry because poetry can be a bit daunting, you know? And so, uh, to call what's, someone, just, I want to check what's, what's daunting about poetry. Cause well, I, it's kind of like, I don't know. Sometimes, uh, I, I think there's something that happens. I don't know if I'm the only one. No, no, I, like, I'm with you. <laughs> like when I read a poem, I'm like, do I get it? Do I? Yes. Am I smart enough for this? Like, is it beyond me? Like someone way smarter than me or way more in touch with me or whatever wrote this poem. And I, I'm trying to figure out what totally. they're saying. Totally and feel that way too. <laughs> I feel a little intimidated sometimes, especially with older poets, like um, not age wise, but like time wise. Uh, it's, it's a little out of context and it's hard. Sometimes I feel like I need a translator right. um, for poetry. So, so for me, I took, and it's been a great way to kind of download information, kind of create word art and then like figure out how I'm feeling about something and then, you know, have it in kind of like a tidy little art form, you know? And when you say word art, I just, I just want to check to, to clarify what that means. Word art. Well, I mean, I feel like nowadays a poem can be so many different things, but the, the thing that it has to have is words. Right. You can like, you know, spread them out all over the place and, um, list them all the different ways. And I, I just feel like it's, it's a, there's a certain level of permission that you have to give yourself in order to be able to say, okay, I'm writing a poem. This right. is a poem. Yeah. And so I started to give myself that permission, um, you know, a few, a few maybe four, four or five years ago and started sharing my poetry out more on Facebook and, you know, different places and um, with different people. And then right before the um, lockdown hit, COVID hit um, a week before I was teaching a, coaching course. And I got the challenge to, um, I was being coached in front of the room by a participant and they challenged me to write a poem a day for a month and oh, to send, wow. it, to send it to the class. And I was like, Oh, I can do that. You know, that's, a, that's a stretch, but I can do it. You know? Yeah. And so lockdown hit. And then I had a, I had a hell of a lot to write about. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So, but, but really this kind of goes back to, um, the, this, the leadership program that I've developed called Spiral Leadership is all about our relationship with nature and being a voice for nature and using our consciousness to support the evolution of um, how to work together as nature. And so going out into nature every day, attuning to nature, um, really like settling down enough to like listen and listen to uh the language that nature speaks, which is a lot of beauty and metaphor and um, mystery and, and 
you know, it's, it's magical, but it, it takes time to kind of connect to it. So I'd go out in nature in a tune and then come back and write a poem and then I would send it out. And then sometimes it would get feedback about it and sometimes it wouldn't. And I kept that going for a month. And okay. then I was like, well, I just, I mean, what else am I going to be doing? I'm not going off island. I'm not teaching. I'm not. Yeah. So I kept it up for almost 10 months. And, um, and then I had this big body of work that had been generated from the same walk that I would take every day up on the hill next to my house. Wow. And then I just, I'd never submitted any poet poetry to anywhere before. And I took them all and I formed them and with some help of, of some literary friends and I sent them off to a poetry contest. Wow. And I won, which was so fun. You won. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I, there's so much here. I just, um, I want to go back for a minute to the, the place of nature and, and I have this vision of you walking through the, the forest or wherever it is that you are as you're writing these poems. And I know for myself, and I, I don't want to speak for anybody else listening to this, but I, I imagine a lot of people these days, we are in like the busiest time ever, it seems like. And there's like so much coming in, at, like information wise to us, that it's so easy to not be connected to our nature. Instead, we're you know, connected to these like prefabricated digital devices. And, you know, like even the way that we're doing this through Zoom, it's like, it's, we're not even in person in that natural way. I'm curious about the process of how you actually open yourself up to connect to nature when you're in it and to, to really, I don't know, like to slow it down so that you can receive the inspiration to write these poems. Like, how do you do that? Yeah. Attuning to nature. I mean, I think that we do it so naturally when we're children and then we kind of just forget how to do it. And um, number one, I think is to give yourself time because you can't rush connection, you know, just like connecting to a person. It's a relationship. You, you need time. So giving yourself space um, and, and, and breathing room around around your walks or around connecting to nature. The other is to, to visit a familiar place time and time again, so that you're building a relationship with place. Wow. I really like to, I mean, I'm, that's kind of my whole thing is like the theme of turning towards the familiar. Um, and I think a lot of us, I mean, I've been doing that because I live on a tiny little Island and that's, you know, that's kind of my, that's my, that's your choice. You're that's not choice. choice. Yeah, that's like, the choice. Yeah. And, um, but I think a lot of us had that same experience with COVID. It's like, Oh wow, this is, this is my place. I'm in this place with these people in, you know, and I've got yeah. this walk that I can do or this, you know, place that I can go and, and it's kind of limited, but finding the freedom and the connection and the limitation is I think really important. So to return to return and, and to keep opening to the familiar. Unbelievable. Can you describe a little bit about the place that you go? Like the, yeah. I'd love yeah, to hear Yeah, for about sure. It. Before I go there though, there's yeah. two other things I want to say about attunement. Okay. One is uh, finding a sit spot. So actually finding a place that is your place. Um, hmm. Carlos Castaneda does a really cool job of this in one of his books. 
um, he's, he's super high on some plant medicine. I don't really even remember what it was, but, but he's like, his, his teacher tells him like on this porch, you need to find the one place that is your place. And so he spends like hours trying to like sit here, sit over here, sit over here, trying to find his like the right place, like the one place that is his. And he finally finds it. And I think about that a lot. Um, I have one place that I go and I sit and I believe that, and this is going to get a little woo woo if we haven't already, but like we, when we're in that relaxed state, when, when your pelvis actually drops and you feel connected to the earth and you feel like a, a plant or, or a tree or like connected, yeah. then you become a portal for the earth to kind of like talk through and connect with the sky. And so like, we're, wow. we're just part of nature now. And it's easier to do when you have a place that you plant yourself consistently. So, Oh, that's, that's like, that moves me deeply to hear you speak like that. And it, it's like, I just want to pause for a minute on that because it's like, I feel like there's this constant search for that place. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is like, give, just give yourself permission to find it. And if, and if it moves fine, like yeah. it doesn't have to be the same thing every time, but just to give yourself permission to be planted somewhere and connect is like a big deal. And then the last thing that I want to say about attunement is, you know, we play a lot with perspectives and then coaching, right? Yeah. And the perspective that makes attunement most accessible and efficient is um, gratitude and awe. Hmm. And so like gratitude leads to awe. It's the doorway to awe. And so when you really go into nature, looking from a place and feeling from a place of gratitude, like hug a tree for longer than you feel comfortable or sit down for longer than you feel comfortable or stop and listen to the birds with your eyes closed longer than you feel comfortable and open to the gratitude of what's being offered. Even if you don't understand it mm. like beyond understanding, you know, like moving beyond the need to rationalize and understand everything, then you can get into a place of being truly awed, like, what? And we've all been there with nature. Like when you're just stunned by the beauty of something, it could be something small, it could be something vast. Yeah. How about but those... you don't have to go to the grand Canyon to be odd. Well, this you know? is the thing, right? And I'm curious about this because there's times where say I'm out on a walk in nature and I've had a rough day and I'm in my head and I just like, I'm going through the motions of the walk, but I'm not actually connecting like I and so to access that gratitude heart place I mean it's one thing to say it but how how have you found the how have you found access to gratitude in those moments like well you know I think we all have our own ways it's kind of like how do you how do you pray how do you connect how do you open yourself to receive connection and sometimes it is a prayer sometimes you have to ask Like sometimes I'll just open my palms up and while I'm walking, I'll just ask, you know, like to be used well, you know, please use me. Um, You know, I'm here to connect with, I'm here, you know, please talk to me. Like it's a, it's a call and response, just like any relationship would be. Wow. And then then the other thing is, um, is, you know, using your voice. Um, 
singing, um, you know, singing a song of gratitude or even whispering, you know, a thank you to a plant or thank you to a, a vista that you love. It, it's, you are communicating with the earth. It's blowing my mind. It's like, it's essentially becoming present to what's right there in the moment with you and acknowledging it and, and opening to it is what I'm hearing from this. Yeah. And that, that kind of um, like has me want to talk about the book a little bit because this book is, was inspired by this one walk that I take up on Lopez Hill and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have a name, but I, I, you know, when you walk, as you are walking, you get, you have different experiences depending on where you're walking. Totally. You go down into a valley and you feel something different than, than when you're up on the vista, feeling something different than when you're in a glade of trees. And, and so with reput repetition, I kept experiencing this similar kind of thoughts emerging as I would walk into these different places. Wow. So, and so that's partly why the book is uh, laid out the way it is. Um, it's like you're taking a walk through a physical landscape, but you're also taking a walk through um, relationships that are kind of evoked by that landscape. I so like, it. for example, there's a whole like a grove that's sapling grove and has all these little trees growing out of really big old growth stumps. And, you know, obviously it's the metaphor of, 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 you know, generations growing from each other and, and recycling, you know, the debris and making new life where there was previous life. So and I just so, want, but maybe this would be a good time to like yeah. pull a poem out from that section. Like, like, so for the listeners, um, Abigail's book is, is divided into these different sections of poems and, one of the sections is actually called Sapling Grove. And so, I, I mean, I, I, there's so many options, so I don't know how we want to do this, but I'm just curious, like maybe from you, Abigail, in this moment, which one of those pulls to you that you might read to us here? Um, it's so hard to pick up I know. one poem, Keith. This is like 15 to 31 here in terms of the poems. There's so many. I think I'm going to read the poem that's called The One Who Wasn't. The One Who Wasn't. And, okay. Yeah. Just, and, before, just um, before you read it like and share about it, I just for the listener's sake, because I, I agree, when I go into listening to poetry or reading poetry, I'm like, who am I? These people are so smart. And it's like, I, I put on this whole thing. So set us up so that we can really receive okay. this poem. What do you recommend here? Yes, I'll put you in, an, in a sit spot so that you okay. can receive the nature of this poem. Okay. I love it. Okay. So, um, so the thing about listening to poetry is that just give yourself permission to go wherever you go. I actually really like to either cast my eyes down, like kind of like create, a, like blur my vision a little bit so I'm not looking hard at something. So mm -hmm. either close your eyes or cast your eyes down, or just have soft gaze. Okay. And it's, it's more receptive stance. And also uncross your legs and uncross your arms so you're more receptive. 
Okay, I'm doing it right now. And as you know, as a long-term meditator, if you're sitting up straight, then your spine has more um, access to, you know, all the connectivity between sky and earth. So that's always good. Love it. I'm adjusting my mic as we speak so I can sit up straighter. Okay. Um, And then the other thing to do is like, just give yourself permission as your imagination takes you to, if, if you flash on memories that you have, or if, if emotions come up, that's the fucking point of a poem. (laughs) So like, go with it. Yeah. (laughs) Roll with it. Don't fight it. Roll with it. Right. Okay. I love this. Great. So this poem, I, I, I want to set it up just a minute. Um, this poem was about an abortion that I had when I was 21. Hmm. And so as I go down into the sapling grove, there's so many beautiful new trees, but there are also places where, you know, trees have, have fallen over and died. And, you know, so all of my children include this one who wasn't. So that's what this poem is about. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Let's take a breath to like receive this. Take a breath. Yes. The one who wasn't. We don't talk about them. The ones we didn't have. The ones we couldn't keep. I don't talk about him. The one I still named but never sang to sleep. But we don't doubt the choice we made for all the years of freedom gained, but pay full price in conscience stained for the ones we couldn't keep. We find them in our shadowed dreams, the ones we didn't birth, the ones we didn't know. I sing a prayerful lullaby for this bright spark who offered and I had to let him go. Still, I wonder who would he have become, a man, a father, a precious son, whose adoration might be second to none instead of a faded shadow. We don't cry about them, the ones we had laid down without obituary. I can't forget about him, the one I denied yet couldn't bury. And every year in late September, I stand with the dark sea to remember his absence in the shape of surrender engraved on the locket I carry. Wow. It's very powerful. What's it like to read it out loud? It's gulpy. I what, mean, what do you it mean gulpy? Well, it's like somebody asked me the other day, what's the gulpiest poem in your book? And that's definitely one of them because abortion's not something that we talk about very much. I don't talk about it. And it's very, very private. And my relationship with that entity that that I said goodbye to is very private. It's, it's only me and that entity. And so to make it public, I feel like is shocking display of generosity. (laughs) Extremely. 
like generosity and, in terms of to to offer that to us or yes. to to, to yes. this yes and being. yeah and i don't say that with arrogance i say that as a call forth to for myself to be courageous because it's just time for us to share it really is just time for us to share what's important and yeah. it's really important to me that all of our relationships are honored and learned from. And that one has taught me a lot, even though, you know, that child was never born. I've still learned so much from that relationship. Wow. What, I, I'm just curious, why, why now? Why is it time now? Well, it's funny, I wrote that, I wrote that poem and then I was like, oh yeah, but I'm not gonna put it in the book because it's just too much. Like I haven't even told my, you know, at that point I hadn't told my kids that I had had abortion. I was like, ah, oh, that's just too much. I don't want my friends reading about that. You know what I mean? Like I, I had this whole, yeah, the whole, contract. yeah, I get that. And, totally. then, um, and then the Supreme court stuff happened in the U S and I was like, okay, we need to have some art. We, those of us who can need to offer our perspective of, of why this choice is important yeah. and why it's important to be uh, protected and, and, and actually share our experiences mm -hmm. instead of, um, of remaining silent. Because remaining silent can be a form of violence. Um, and I don't, I don't want choices to be taken away from people just because I wasn't brave enough to speak up. Wow. This is the fire that I feel like you walked through and still walk through. Like it's who I know you to be. And it's like amazing to witness you embodying it even more by publishing this and putting it out there and walking deeper than you ever have. The titles walk deep. I mean, this is walking deep. Mm -hmm. um, wow. I, I'd be curious Abigail, if you were to share, like, if there was, um, here's, this is kind of a coachy question actually, but if there was a metaphor or, a some way to just like describe your relationship with this being, like, what, what is that? What comes to mind? Grateful. <laughs> Gratitude. Yeah. I mean, I think of, of our ancestors as both behind us and in front of us. I think about, you know, the generations that will come in front of us are also informing how we live and they're informed by how we live. And, and those entities or spirits or, you know, life forms that that aren't manifested in this reality are they're important to connect with. And I think, you know, that's, that's a whole other conversation of how to, yeah. how to do that and how to be in relationship with non manifested entities. But I, I'm, I'm deeply committed to the relationships that I can learn from. And that is, that has been, one that keeps giving. Wow. 
That's an, it's an amazing. And the way that you described earlier, when you go out into nature and the way that you connect with nature and it's like in the present moment and there, it's like almost as if there's no time or space in a way. It's like to be able to connect to our ancestors or beings that didn't make it into the physical form and to actually experience that. Like I sense that's what, what this relationship has offered you is, is to be able to still have that connection. And it, mm-hmm. it reminds me of um, Thich Nhat Hanh, who I've just started reading as well. And he was talking about this concept of inter, interbeing, interbeing, and that we walk around thinking we're so separate and everything's like, you know, you're you and I'm me. But on a whole other level, it's like there is no separation. It's like everything is everything. And it's like we're just continuing to emerge and expand. And oh, I could go on and on. It's just so inspiring. To- well, I think too, like one of the beautiful things about being in nature is that you really, and especially in the Pacific Northwest with the old growth trees, like the 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 path that I'm on every day, you know, I'm walking on on top of trees and top of trees and top of trees that have died and, you know, like given, given themselves to the, to the dirt, to, you know, create the, the dirt that I'm standing on, the soil that I'm standing on. And, and it's so clear to see it. Like you can see it, you can stand there in the forest and you can see how all of these trees, when they fall down, are covered with moss and then things grow out of them. And it's just like this ongoing, beautiful experience of the forest. It's not scary. Yeah. Their death isn't scary. It's not something to be prevented. It's just something that, that is. And so I think, I think one of, one of the biggest, I think the biggest issue that we have that kind of runs the greed of capitalism is our fear of mortality. And we're just trying to avoid it and, you know, numb the reality of it. And, and it's killing the planet. (laughs) And it's, and it's just like, well, that's not going to work very well. And so I think, Part of it is that we we don't have a lot of models about how to be okay with the inevitable. And, and we need to come to terms with it. And nature is a really beautiful teacher of, of cycle, life cycle. Yeah. You know, I'm just, as you're saying it, thinking about like, we're, we're coming towards the end of our, our time together here in this. And I'm just wondering if there's a poem that comes to mind from your collection here that kind of speaks to this essence of like endings and beginnings and like that, that cycle. Yeah, I actually, I have it right here. I'm, I'm holding the book. <laughs> and we um, did not preconceive this either. This is I just didn't, No, this is totally coming out of this conversation. Yeah. So this, this, uh, I actually wrote this as a song and it also won a strange award, but that's a whole other story. But this, this is, and then I submitted as a, as a poem because it's also a poem. So I'm going to read it as a poem, but it's also a song. Okay. And it's called, it's called, maybe you should sing it sometime. I maybe would I love sing, to sing it sometime. Like, <laughs> just hand this to you. Okay. So this is a, 
It's a short poem. It's called We Are the Ones. Okay, I'm taking another deep breath before you read it. So, and listeners too, I encourage that no matter where you are, because receive this. Open yourself up to it. We are the ones. We are unraveling the sacred parchment, singing out in languages that we forgot we knew. We are decoding the future's blueprint, written in the space between me and you. We are the ones we've been waiting for, ancestors behind us and ancestors ahead. We are the longing of our children's children, reaching back to pull us through the veil of time. We are the echo of every kindness freely given. Pass it forward between your heart and mine. We are the ones we've been waiting for, ancestors behind us and ancestors ahead. Wow. It's powerful. Another powerful poem. I'd love to hear the music to that. I'll send it to you and you can do <laughs> what you want with it, Keith. Make it a pop hit chart. Chart oh, hit. Beautiful essence. The essence of um, I, what really was struck me as I was listening was just like the ancestors behind us and before us and like not that there's even linear time that we are like we are the ones that are bringing forward in consciousness like all of it like it's all here it's, it's yeah and that that the power of having this moment and using our voices in any way we can to connect first with nature and to be in right relationship with nature and spirit and ourselves and then to use our creativity either through the pen or through song or through painting or art or music or hatchet throwing or any, any way that you want, but just to express it in the world in a way that shares it with others. So consciousness can move faster. Yes. We need consciousness to move faster and, and let's do it through, uh, through beautiful means. I'm curious. Why, why do you feel like consciousness needs to move faster? Because we're, we're in a, tunnel right now we're in a pressure cooker and we we really need to be sharing um true information with each other so that we can get on the same page and make choices about right action together yeah. like no one person is uh gonna save the planet but together when we're inspired in the same direction there's no there's no stopping us. Yeah. Oh. Abigail, I feel like this is like you are leading a charge here by putting this book out into the world and expressing from like your connection with nature, but expressing from this place of truth and vulnerability and depth. And it's just like such a gift that you're bringing to the planet at this time. And it's an, it's a ripple. I feel like people that are listening to this interview and this conversation, I mean, it's it's my dream that this is a ripple and that we are going to continue to express in whatever way is supposed to come through. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Keith. And you can um, pick up this book um, from Homebound Publications um, or 
on Amazon. Um, and please, you know, give it to your friends and get into poetry. Give yourself permission to, to read and write. Yeah. Uh, poetry is just such a great form these days. It's a very efficient way to to well, communicate. After being with you here and, and having this conversation, I feel so much more excited about reading and listening and absorbing poetry. You've made it accessible in such a beautiful way. And so I'm, that's my wish for, for everyone listening as well, that you will go pick up a copy of Walk Deep and give yourself permission to, to walk deep as you listen to these poems and read these poems and let them speak to you and let them take you to places. Oh, so I'm so excited for you. Um, I'll also I'll also put uh, Abigail's website information in the show notes, so please check that out as well. And yeah. um, again, thank you, Abigail, for for being here on the show. I love yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. And also on my website, you can go and sign up for a weekly poem if you want. If oh. you would like to hear from me weekly, that would be great. And also, just to say, Keith, you are a poet. You are a poet plus a musician. That's what a singer songwriter is. So I just want to say that. And from one poet to another, like it is such an honor to, um, to have been your coach and your friend. And I, um, can't wait to walk deeper with you. Oh, thank you. There's a, an old African greeting where two people would meet and they, one person would say, I want to be seen. They'd make eye contact. They say, I want to be seen. And then the other would look deeply and see them and say, and I see you. And, it, and then they'd exchange the other way. And I just feel like this is what this is. It's like, thank you for seeing me. And I see you too. And we're in this together. Thank you for seeing me. Yeah. Thanks, Abigail. Thank you, Kim. All right. Well, that concludes another episode of Let's Connect. And I hope that it's inspired you as much as it has me. Thank you so much for tuning in and remember to subscribe to both the YouTube channel and the podcast channel. And I look forward to you joining me on the next episode of Let's Connect.